Hello, everyone. Our next guest is Bianca Phillips. She is a lawyer from Melbourne, Australia, and she has a focus in medical and digital law. I have the absolute pleasure of speaking to her in this episode. She is a co-writer of the book, Voice Technology in Healthcare, Leveraging Voice to Enhance Patient and Provider Experiences. This is a book that I am also a co-writer in, and we have a shared interest in voice technology and how that will impact healthcare. So it was a fun conversation looking at the different aspects of voice technology and, uh, you know, law and how that's going to play out possibly in the future. Additionally, it's a, an area of interest that we should be considering when it comes to the future, especially with all of the emerging technologies that are arriving and the possible implications of those technologies. So without further ado, let's welcome Bianca Phillips in this episode And please check her out. You can literally search her name on LinkedIn and find out all of the great resources that she refers to uh, for this uh, episode. Additionally, if you want to learn more, you can check out our book, Voice Technology in Healthcare. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Happy Doc. I am very excited for our next guest Bianca Phillips. This is going to be a fun episode. She's actually, we're actually recording this right now. She's in Australia and uh, she is a lawyer. Um, You know, there's so many topics that we're going to speak about, but um, we actually are both writers in a book. Uh, We have different chapters in our book uh, about voice technology and healthcare. Um, And I think it's just going to be a great conversation because there's a lot of shared interests. You know, we're going to talk about that voice technology. There's a lot more. I know, obviously, there's an interest in telemedicine, artificial intelligence, and so much more. So, Bianca, thank you so much for being on. Can you please introduce yourself? Thank you so much, Taylor, for having me. My name is Bianca. As you mentioned, I'm a lawyer from Melbourne, Australia, and really looking forward to chatting with you today. Amazing, amazing. So, just to get us started off, you know, what got you interested in law? Okay, so uh, my interest in law, uh, perhaps not traditional, um, but uh, at school I was, I was actually into all the sciences. I was taking physics, chemistry, biology, mathematics, and after, after school uh, I wanted to take an arts degree um, and then presented that to my family and they said, have you considered law? <laughs> That's how I got into law um, because it was suggested to me. So this has really been a process um, for me, taking law, learning about what the subject um, is all about and um, getting to that point where I actually started to, to love it when I, when I picked a specialty area and started delving into that area of medical law and digital health. I really grew a love of the law and this is what uh, keeps me going in this particular uh, space. Amazing. Amazing. Now, was there something that specifically drew you to, you know, you, obviously digital law and medical law? Was there something there that, you know, maybe did you have interest before that or did you kind of fall into it? Yeah, well, I always had interest in medicine and science because of my fascination with those topics at school. Mm-hmm. Um, so taking physics, I was taking all the advanced classes, extension classes in physics and chemistry, biology and and maths. And that that really um, 
was initially what was interesting to me. And then uh, when I was in law, I started in a corporate uh, legal role. Uh, we're doing the, the nine to five, doing all the timesheets, writing letters of advice to clients and so forth. And, um, and then someone very important to me uh, got cancer and uh, I became really interested in, you know, disease prevention but also in understanding the pressures that are faced um, by doctors and other healthcare providers and really wanting to, to understand the, um, the environment. So uh, that took me to um, University of Melbourne to take a, a Master's of Health and Medical Law and, and training myself and, and spending a lot of time um, being, being taught about health and medical law. Amazing. That's great. That's great. And so you, you, you followed kind of your natural, natural curiosity and then, you know, took a next step further and obviously specialized in, in the medical law field. Now I'm, I'm curious, obviously, cause my audience is going to be mostly American. Um, you know, what, what are, you know, how, what is healthcare like in Australia? Is it, is it, you know, uh, free healthcare for all? Is it universal? Is it insurance-based? Like, what is the general setup for uh, the healthcare system there? Yeah, so we have a public health system, which means that um, anyone can walk into a hospital and um, receive urgent care. Um, if a person requires surgery, there may be a, a wait list for that particular surgery uh, with the public system. We also have private health cover, so um, you're definitely encouraged and there's an incentive to take out private health insurance. Um, and if you don't take out private health insurance, there's a, a levy that you need to pay during a tax time um, to um, to cover that. But uh, yeah, so we, we do have free uh, public health care, and and uh, most people I know have will take out private care as well. Okay, so it sounds to me like uh, maybe it's more coverage for general care, but when it comes to more specialized care, um, specific types of visits, or some form of you know, maybe major illness, is that the type of reason you'd want the private private insurance as well? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, th- I took out private care for that reason and also when I was uh, pregnant, I wanted to have private health cover, um, you know, just in case. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have a really fantastic public health system and uh, there are many people I know who have utilised the public health system for treatment when they've had cancer or heart disease. Oh, I needed I needed surgery, or even if, when they're having children, they go through the public system. So mm-hmm. we have, yeah, we're very fortunate here. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. I mean, obviously, there's different setups, and you know, every every country um, and area is different. Uh, yeah. But definitely, definitely something I was just curious about because again, the scope is just going to be different. Now, you know, I I do want to gear us kind of this conversation towards um, definitely, uh, you know. We, we both have that shared interest in, you know, technology, the voice space, and obviously how that's going to impact, you know, healthcare as a whole um, and, you know, health education and all of those things. So what kind of started to steer you into that direction? Yeah, so I was looking at um, electronic health record systems and reading studies about physician burnout rates and physician depression um, and 
the incredible load of needing to and, and the need to sit there and click on individual files and read everything just did not make any sense to me. And so I see voice as a solution to that problem and that's really what initially got me interested in voice technologies. Could voice be a solution to that issue where you could speak to the EMR and ask a question about a patient and it would be able to give you that information? Uh, And also this idea of um, not having to sit in an office necessarily or in one place, being able to move around if you're in the hospital, being able to move around that hospital and um, obviously ensuring privacy, um, being able to still retrieve the information that, that you require about your patients. Right. Right. So, so one of the things that, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, I definitely feel the same way. Um, there's a streamlining possibility that voice provides, you know, when I first heard about voice technology and thought about it, um, you enter a very interesting world. I mean, the idea that popped into my head, um, kind of similar to you is this almost perfect clinic where, you know, you enter the room and you have a conversation with the patient and you have this very streamlined form of experience, um, kind of as you the picture you painted where you walk in, you can say the patient's name in the room. Obviously this would have to be, you know, HIPAA or, you know, secure data and, and you walk in the room and then all of a sudden you're able to on the fly, speak to the patient, that data is, you know, because of voice technology and how it could capture that, the voice, be able to capture the data, be able to call up certain things onto the screen, have this sort sort of seamless experience. I mean, it's a pretty impressive future if we can, and I, I think we will get to that point. Yes, definitely. I was amazed. It's actually saw um, that use case was presented at the VOH summit um, when I attended last year at Harvard Medical School in August, and um, they showed an example on the screen of that very scenario um, where you'd have you know a patient walk into a room and the doctor being able to um, talk to the EMR and the information being all around in, in the uh, room actually recording the conversation. It was just uh, really futuristic, but you know, Taylor, it looks like we're on on the way there, so it could 100%. happen. Yeah, out of curiosity, was the company Suki? Do you know if the that company was, that was one of the? Yes, that was one of them. There were a couple. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah the one I'm familiar with is for people who are listening. Uh, it's it's Suki AI. It's a pretty. That's the one I'm familiar with, um, and they have a very impressive voice capture technology, which you know, as we're describing this, you know, is is a possible you know, way to, I think it's already actively in some clinics and um, it's already streamlining the, uh, you know, the note writing process for, for, for physicians. So, um, you know, digital scribe is already here. Now, you know, gearing this a little bit towards that conversation, you know, you wrote a chapter on essentially, you know, thinking about the ethics and the law around voice. What was what was what is your chapter? What what's your thinking around you know what we're going to need to do from an ethical and legal standpoint? Certainly. So I looked at um, I, I collaborated with a U.S. attorney on this project, uh, Miss Heather Dixler, and she's a corporate counsel at a, a firm called Latham and Watkins, and um, she's based in San Francisco they're all over the world, that firm, and they specialise in digital health laws. We put together this chapter around the laws of voice 
and we discuss issues of privacy, security, uh, consent, capacity, human rights, and um, ownership of data. But what we've done in this chapter is we have talked about these issues, um, trying to attach them to a particular context. So we've uh, set out a hypothetical scenario from different areas of healthcare and um, medicine and and then provided some information on the current day legal constructs as well as the kinds of issues that we're going to have to consider in the future. So one of the examples um, that we gave was a scenario where you have, and uh, this will might be of interest to you because of your um, work in psychiatry, but let's say you have a patient who is pardon me, on their journey to recovery from an addiction um, and their psychiatrist or psychologist has recommended that they utilise a voice assistant um, or a skill to record their thoughts and feelings at home. Um, one of the questions that we raised is, is it legal and is it ethical for the, uh, for the doctor to have to request access to that information and can the patient themselves have a copy of the transcript when they talk about how they feel? And also what are the requirements in terms of notifying members of that family as well um, about, about what they're sharing? Mm-hmm. To so that was one of the examples that we gave. And we, t- we talk about uh, different examples across, um, you know, another another one was when uh, let's say you're interacting with a voice assistant to find out information about a, a child in hospital, and you have other members of the family at home. Are they allowed to hear the conversation? What rights do they have to information about what is going on with regards to uh, their brother or, or sister in the hospital? And, um, yeah, there's just a few different examples that we provided in, in the book. Yeah, and I think the biggest pushback I hear, you know, even with this, you know, like, for example, the case of, okay, so let's say I have a depressed patient um, and I want them to do a mood log um, or some form of emotional um, diary. And um, one of, the, let's just say there's the capability, um, like you said, to, I don't know, let's say we just decide that at 9 p.m. every night you're going to, uh, you know, describe how your day went and you can do like a quick mood diary um, right. at home. You know, the, big, the biggest pushback or the thing I hear the most, obviously, and I know I'm sure you've touched on this and thought about this a lot, is the privacy aspects of this, right? So um, like, as you said, so if this person's recording it at home, is there a possibility someone might be listening in who has access to that data? Is that the patient's data because it was in their house? Is it the, is it the office's data? Is it, you know, like, you know, there's so many lines that are kind of getting drawn. Um, you know, obviously is the data encrypted in a way that's going to be safe and won't be stolen by hackers and what happens if that happens? And, um, you know, there's so many different aspects of it. So, so what, what do you, how do you think around, or what do you think about privacy issues around that? Well, um, one of the big hurdles, obviously, and a necessary hurdle is that of, um, HIPAA compliance. So, uh, you know, we're going to have to ensure that the skills have, uh, secured HIPAA compliance and, um, and then, you know, we're going to have to really 
educate people on how to protect their privacy as well. People are going to have to um, not just rely on um, on one party doing that. It's going to have to be a collaborative effort where also the patient, if they're choosing to utilise something within their home, they're going to have to be educated on how to uh, achieve that kind of privacy for themselves. But it's uh, the, the other issue that you mentioned around ownership of data, that yeah. is a really interesting one. That's a really interesting topic. Tell me and more. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's, uh, it's a legal minefield, uh, the topic of ownership. I mean, in Australia we have uh, more of a, a federal approach to this issue, something that it can, can apply across the, the board across Australia, whereas in the U.S., your approach to ownership is state by state. Right. And, and, that's, um, and that's really interesting to me. And I think what we're going to see happen over the years, as we have in the past, is um, we're going to have more cases coming about looking at this issue of ownership within new contexts and then um, potentially, you know, a shift in the way that we balance the control of, of data ownership. Yeah, I mean, it's you bring up a really good point because, you know, obviously one of the interests that I know you have is telemedicine, right? And we live in, you know, and obviously with voice as well, we we live in a, a strange world world now where a lot of the laws and the things we think about, you know, we're very confined to, you know, for example, in the United States, it's state lines, right? And you have your, like, if I have my medical license in Pennsylvania, right? And someone's calling me in, you know, Nevada, right? Technically speaking, because the patients in Nevada, I need to have a Nevada, um, you know, license to in order to give care to them in the state of Nevada, right? So, um, but you know, I think I would imagine a world in the future where we're going to have to really think about either a streamlining the process for licensing, or b, you know, as I think we're kind of alluding to, we might need some more holistic kind of rules that allow us to provide care cross lines, um, you know, and, and think about because there's a possibility here for this type of technology, for example, to really streamline not just, you know, the United States, not just Canada, not just Australia, but the entire planet, right? And um, the legal aspect of that and the policy that's going to need to be written and all of that stuff, I mean, going to make your head explode but i also imagine that you know with without you know things opening up it's going to really limit right the ability for this technology to really impact the globe exactly yeah so you know the idea of being able to access the, uh, the top healthcare professionals from anywhere in the world I love the idea that I could, you know, in the future potentially access um, a physician who is known all around the world for the particular, um, you know, scenario or disease that you're facing. And that's amazing. And and then also opening up the ability for people who are in rural and remote regions to access care. Um, It's really fantastic, but we will have to uh, address those licensing issues and it's going to take time. It's going to be a process of working through all that policy and at some point um, it it won't just be, you know, a a state issue or a country issue. It's something that we're going to have to tackle at this global level. I've had a a couple of companies 
um, approached me to discuss their telemedicine technologies and um, bringing uh, their technologies into Australia and what the um, the legal hurdles may be. And it's, you know, it's very, um, you know, they were very optimistic and hopeful that we could, you know, get, get this kind of thing going in, in Australia. Um, the idea of being able to, um, you know, address all of those licensing issues um, quite quickly, um, but you'd have to, you know, really, you have to be a, a little bit cautious with that. And and explain that it's going to take time. We can't just make this happen right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, yeah, it's it's really not a simple issue to fix. So so yeah, I mean that's a good point you bring up, right? So for example, let's just let's just imagine a future where right now I let's just say I mean obviously it's not there, but um, you know I I have the now technology and capability to essentially have a fully operated operated EMR with voice technology capacity that is hooked up to this large database that's able to do all these fancy things. And not only that, but that EMR is cloud-based and essentially that data is, is accessible from, you know, um, you know, anywhere in the world technically, right? And you're able to have this information and basically through either voice detection or what have you, you're able to verify the. Let's just assume that there's this encrypted data source that's HIPAA compliant and all of those great things. Then what? Like how long from, you know, because I, I, I don't have a scope for this at all, right? So like, how do you like, I, obviously you, you practice more in Australia and you're more familiar with that system, but how long does it really take to go to policyholders and discuss this um, and and bring it up and try to get those approvals. Like, how long do those conversations take? Like, how long does this process take to approve something like that? Oh, it can take years, decades, potentially, depending on the particular technology. So, if I refer to EHR systems in Australia, it's taken it has taken decades, and it's um, yeah, policy uh, drafting a policy, getting to the point where you even begin that process of um, drafting the policies and then drafting the bill that will then be presented to Parliament and then all of the steps um, of of actually getting that passed into law, followed by the reforms that take place subsequent to that. Um, You know, with our electronic health record system, we had um, the, the law was passed many years before the general public knew what the My Health Record system was, which is our federal EHR system. And it wasn't until the Act was passed and they were about to convert it to an opt-out model, which meant that everyone would be joined into the uh, My Health system and automatically have data added to it, that mm-hmm. the public said, hang on, we, we didn't know about this we, you know, and we have issues with this legislation. And then they had to go back and, and change the legislation. So, um, yeah, it takes years for it to develop, to write, to amend, um, and then consultations and so forth that, that happen along the way. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting, right, because, you know, the idea, when you have a great idea, right, like, you know, we're, we're very passionate about voice and the capabilities and all those things, but the idea is amazing, but the actual policy and the process of, getting it on paper, getting into the parties of power, you know, having this whole process actually happen, it happens very slowly. Yes. 
Um, That's a big challenge. It really is. It's it's a you know it's an interesting challenge because um you know I was I was listening to this uh, now now I'm listening to books I don't read books anymore I just listen to them um, but I was listening to the uh, this one book the future is faster than you think and I'm blanking on the authors right now it's a great book though but it talks about converging technologies and the the weird thing that's happening right now as you know is technology is moving so fast with artificial intelligence with you know crypto with voice. Um, at, with stem cells, with 3D printing, like there's so many things that are happening right now. Um, quantum supercomputers, there's so much happening right now in the tech space. That all happens, but then we have this, I mean, I hate to say it, but this very slow, sluggish uh, legal system that obviously for a good reason, we want to think about the, the law, we want to think about the ethics, we want to think about how this will impact society. And that takes a long time. Yes. Yeah. I mean, traditionally, it's quite a, it's quite reactive, right? There has to be a, a, a problem has to emerge. And then we need to address that problem through legal mechanisms, um, whether it be that someone uh, ends up in court to address that problem, or it be that uh, legislation is passed, so they have to at least consider the passing of, of legislation. Um, it's usually quite reactive. Um, so we, we have, you know, usually uh, like a general law, general legislation, um, which is quite broad, broad enough mm-hmm. to capture various different technologies. Like the Privacy Act is an example in Australia where it's quite a broad legislation that can capture any technology and the privacy aspects. But then if there's a, an issue in a particular space, if something happens in a particular field, then we may have lawmaking to address a new law in a specific area of technology. So, yeah, it's quite reactive. Um, however, I am starting to see more of this kind of proactive lawmaking happening, and especially in this area of artificial intelligence, the conversations at the moment are quite proactive around what are the value systems that we believe in and that we're going to work towards when we're creating policies and guidelines and laws into the future. So I think in artificial intelligence, we're being quite uh, proactive in our approach. Right, right. I mean, and we touched a little bit, you know, about the, the legal aspect and that this is going to be a longstanding kind of arduous task, but necessary task to think about these different areas um you know of of you know voice and technology and obviously like for the scope of this podcast like each of these little aspects i mean it could be like you know obviously you wrote a chapter on it each of these aspects could be pages and pages of thought around you know the 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 benefits the risks the consequences how to think about this from a legal aspect from which parties you know from there's so many ways i mean I, i could imagine how much you could write about it um, I'm, I'm curious about, you know, you mentioned values, right? Um, and obviously, at the end of the day, when you're thinking about policy, when you're thinking about ethics, you know, you're going to want to think about what are we trying to uphold? Like, what are the core values or the ethical principles by which, you know, you want to consider, you know, what, you know, this technology is going to do for society? So do you have like a kind of... Um, What's a guiding post or a line of certain, you know, principles or values that you think about when it comes to us implementing, you know, this technology? Yes, I do. And this has been, this has been the project I've been working on as um, my PhD project. 
uh, which looks at digital health lawmaking uh, practices. And um, what I've been doing as part of that project is examining the emergence of uh, EHR legislation into law to assess what types of values the government has um, been applying. And um, I've stated these values at a very broad uh, broad level and they're called the eight pillars. And these are the, the areas of uh, the values that I believe, um, you know, uh, need to be discussed in this space of digital health. Um, so I'll give, I can give you those examples if you're interested. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so... Number one, the accountability of lawmakers for the reasons of their decisions and accountability generally. Mm-hmm. Uh, human rights factors, the constitution and law as part of one, you know, human rights, constitution and law, clinical benefits, societal benefit, harm reduction, risk reduction, business case and public consultation. Now, I've stated these eight pillars at um, a very broad level and if you, if you actually examine the, the AI principles and values that um, were released by the White House, for example, they are much more specific and can, you know, you'd be able to argue that they, they fit within one of those eight pillars or they fit within various, you know, various aspects of those eight pillars. So there are many different um, frameworks out there for value systems and principles in AI. There are many papers that have been published by academics on this topic. Um, What I've done is I've just stated at a a general level because what I believe is that we need to essentially first agree on those core values stated. If we state them broadly, then if we, and we can agree on those essential values, then we can start to get into the more specifics. Right, right. I mean, and, and of course, right, like uh, at, the, at, the, at the beginning of all of this, you're going to have to have some guiding principles. And obviously there's room for interpretation. That's when you get into the nitty gritty, you know, yeah. s- section A, part B, whatever it is, right? You know, the whole, the language that needs to be fine-tuned for people, the parties to agree but of course, you're going to have these eight pillars. And I love that you mentioned a lot of these, right? The accountability, human rights, constitution law, you know, risk reduction, and all the other parts of, you know, what it's going to take for us to really look at this technology in a useful way. If someone's trying to dig into this further, you know, if they want to think about digital law um, and, and how this is going to really impact people, how, how would we, what resources would you suggest or what would you say to look at? Well, there are, I mean, uh, obviously I'll, I'll refer you to some of my publications as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, so look, anyone could add me on LinkedIn. Your listeners are free to add me on LinkedIn or even if you check out my public profile, there's access to my publications there. And um, I did a couple of um, different series. So I had a, a series for the Medical Journal of Australia um, where I you know, go through this field of digital health and talk about not only the law, but also aspects of, of medicine as well and technology. And I had guests um, as part of that project uh, contributing. Um, so that's that's one place you can go. But, but um, you know, you, you'd have to do, um, if you want to really 
delve into some of the academic papers, you'd have to uh, really have a look at the academic journals and um, that's a good place to go. And also, if you're interested in, I imagine most of your audience are interested in, in uh, the position in the US, then um, you should check out the White House AI principles and and, uh, and and have a look at the guidance that's being put out by the White House at the moment on artificial intelligence values and principles. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I think, I think it's... Um... It's just important for us to have those resources to to look at and understand, you know, how these, um, you know, different policies even start to get created. Understand the the what those value systems and principles are that allow us to get to you know that future that we ultimately want to create. And it's even more timely now because I think about coronavirus and this this whole issue with the pandemic happening. And now technology is even more important because all of these people are doing virtual conferencing like we're doing right now. And, you know, uh, am I allowed to speak to my patient at a distance if I have a fever at home? Like, you know, there's, there's these different aspects of healthcare that, you know, digital, you know, work like what we're doing right now can ultimately be very positive. Right. Or, or can, can a physician at the CDC, um, you know, provide uh you know some care to someone in let's say california i don't know you know what whatever it is but you know there there are things that if we could figure out how to you know think about these lines that we're drawing and the legal aspects of and create something a little bit more holistic to apply technology i think i think it would really benefit people um you know throughout the world Absolutely. And, you know, it's incredible how things can change so quickly. So, you know, a few years ago, um, you know, I'm writing a paper with a professor from, from the NHMRC and Cochrane, and we're talking about the use of uh, the efficacy of telemedicine use for heart failure and diabetes. Mm. And, you know, uh, and we're talking about from the perspective of clinical efficacy, um, now, you know, you can see the obvious benefits with uh, something like the coronavirus in being able to access care via telemedicine and telehealth. We're not, it's not really a question of that clinical efficacy, but it very much could be a question of the, the, legal, the legalities of it. Um, so I really think this is going to get us moving um, in digital health generally um, to, to really tackle these issues so that we can open open it up and enable people to access these important technologies. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it's very powerful. I mean, the obvious example, as you pointed out and we've alluded to is uh, a patient at home who has coronavirus or is suspected of coronavirus and they're looking for advice, right? Yeah. yeah. Now, are they allowed to, who do they contact? Do they contact their personal doctor? Maybe none of the, none of the local doctors know, um, you know, maybe none of the local doctors are accessible. Can they reach out to someone beyond state line, you know, there's, there's things that, you know, um, you know, could, could be solved or would be a little bit easier if they, if the access and, and there was an awareness around, um, yes. you know, what was possible. So I, th- I think, I think we're in very interesting times. Um, there's a lot, very strange times, honestly, there's so much happening and, uh, it's just a weird world we're living in where there's so much that's possible and also not possible at the same time. I don't know. Um, 
uh, question for you is, you know, we've talked a lot about different aspects of, you know, a little bit about health law, a little bit about digital law, a little bit about what you do. Is there anything, any topic that you felt you're passionate about that you really wanted to speak to, you know, our mostly physician and medical student community today? I would love to see the uh, medical students learning as much as possible possible about digital health and taking courses in digital health to learn about the future of of medicine and educating themselves about um, the future practice of medicine, how it's going to shift. You're going to have patients in the future with much more control over their information and over the process. And, um, you know, just getting yourself prepared for that for that future and how medicine is shifting. Um, so I know that digital health is now incorporated into quite a few programs in the US, not so much here in Australia. Um, so for the, any Australian listeners, I'd say you really need to start self, you know, educating, enrolling in some additional courses. Um, and for those in the US, it's just about uh, understanding, you know, where we've been and where, where medicine has been and the history of it, which I know, Taylor, you talk about in your book chapter, mm-hmm. um, the history of medical progress and the p- medical profession, and then looking into the future and considering uh, the future of medicine. I think it's really exciting, a really exciting time to be um, practising in, in medicine and healthcare. Absolutely. And, and you know, you know we, we have a passion for voice, but technology as a whole um, and how, you know, digital health is going to really impact our future. Uh, we're, we're moving into a world where the internet's just getting faster with 5G. That's going to impact a lot of areas of life. Um, and, you know, as we progress, you know, uh, with, with all of the crazy and new and all the innovations that are coming, it's, it's an interesting world we live in and will be living in. And, you know, something that's important, you know, that I would close out with in this conversation with Bianca is, you know, the future is what we make it. And the future, you know, with Bianca, like, you know, you're taking this, you know, head on and and thinking about the future law and the future ethical principles that will need to be in place uh, before we're really there yet. And if we're not at the forefront, if we're not ahead of it, you can imagine, the, you know, all those episodes of, if you've watched the show Black Mirror, right, all the all of the crazy things that can happen if we don't get ahead of thinking about how we're going to use this technology to help people and not harm people. So uh, I think it's just a, it's important, you know, important aspect of this conversation. And um, one question I'll finish our episode off with today is uh, Bianca, do you uh, have any specific channels you want to drop any books, anything that you'd like for us to check out? Please connect with me on LinkedIn. Check out my publications, especially those for the Medical Journal of Australia, which was a really interesting and fun series that I did. I have some podcasts linked on LinkedIn, and there's the book chapter, The Laws of Voice, for the voice technology and healthcare book. So I'm definitely recommending that if you're interested in the field of voice, technology, and healthcare, that you get a copy of that book. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. And uh, I'm looking forward to speaking to you uh, very soon. Thanks, Taylor. And take care. 
All right, everyone, that is the episode for today of The Happy Doc. If you enjoyed the content, if you love that episode, please leave it a five-star review on iTunes. It's one of the best ways to support us. Additionally, please check out those resources that we referred to in the episode, including checking out Bianca Phillips on LinkedIn. And I'll see you guys on the next episode of The Happy Doc. Take care.